and welcome to 100% Real with Ruby. Today, I am talking with selfie person right now, Tom Bainbridge, and we are anti-wellness wankering, quite a lot of wellness wankery today. And it was it was actually quite funny because I was talking about a post that I was thinking of putting up onto Instagram, which I will be, but it kind of also feeds into the topic that we'll be talking about today in that there is good information out there, but it doesn't mean it's good information for you. And a lot of people come and go with the trends also, which is point number two. Like Tom was saying, only about five, six, six years ago already, holy shit, time flies. Like you were seen as having an eating disorder if you weren't someone that was allowing yourself some chocolate. And I put up a rant eight, like two years ago that was just like, just because you're having a trouble with a particular food and you need to keep it out of your environment does not mean you are failing. Whereas a lot of anti-diet dietitians and food freedom and intuitive eating and healthy at every size wankery says that there is a problem if you have to keep it out of the house and you can't do the moderation. I know myself. You need to know yourself. I also learned something else about myself and that I cannot eat fruit at nighttime because it is sweet and I can't have a sweet stimulus because that impacts my dopamine reward signals too much at night. And that is actually a scientific thing as well because if you think about the fact that you're doing all of this cognitive effort through the day, that kind of ties itself out towards the night, which is why a lot of other people end up face first into the pantry. And this is where a lot of self-awareness comes in, which was exactly what we were talking about on the last podcast with motivation, with willpower, with discipline, because it doesn't matter if you have a shit ton of discipline, a shit ton of motivation, a shit ton of willpower, if it's getting forced in the wrong direction, because then you're just burning the engine out in the wrong direction. And by time you realize it's time to switch paths, you need to now take your car to the mechanic for a full service job, face job, facelift, body work, whatever you call it. And that's going to keep you out of commission for quite a while, but it doesn't mean you don't do anything. You still have to do the work in the meantime to get your car into functional capacity. And it's funny because you could wear this car out to oblivion and because we want to fix things immediately it's like oh doesn't matter let's just change the paint job on the car let's just hurry up and get it back on the road and make it look sparkling clean give it a good wax and what's that wax on wax off just for what it needs to make it look like it's good but it's still not going to run so don't try to band-aid a bullet wound with the bullet still in there which is another analogy for what we're trying to say. But I hope you took some from this little introduction into this podcast on just debunking some myths that one of my friend dietitians put up onto her Instagram. And the first one I want to mention is if your nutritionist, coach, or dietitian demonizes processed foods, you should get a new dietitian. And this is something that I wish a lot of people realized, but at the same time, it doesn't mean that you go all freelance into bloody 
McDonald's and the lolly factory. Just because processed foods can be a part of a healthy diet, a healthy balanced diet, does not mean you make it to the majority of your diet. You need to realize that every single thing that you choose to eat has a trade-off. If you choose to eat something like a donut, that's a good 300 calories for something the size of your palm, and it's not going to fill you up. It can trigger more sugar cravings. It can make you want to eat more food. It can make you want to eat more sugary food and not pref- like have a preference for higher protein, higher fiber foods. But when you, when you see these messages about processed foods, you need to sit with it and ask yourself, is this message for me? Is this something that serves me in this phase that I'm in right now? Because if you're in a deficit, you have less leeway for quote unquote fun foods because that leaves <laughs> that leaves out the fact that you won't be getting in the ones that matter most for your energy, for your performance, for nourishing your gut, your hormones, your metabolism. And you're taking out a whole chunk of calories for very little satiety. So know what serves you in your phase. And no matter what phase you're in, the majority of your food should be coming from whole foods, minimally processed foods, and focusing on what is it that makes me feel good. Because if you eat in a way that is neglecting your body and not thinking to nourish yourself, then how do you expect you're going to feel? A lot of people then would start to say that they feel fluffy. They want to hurry up and lose weight because they're not feeling in control of their food. They're not aligning themselves with their values. So, Tom, what's your take on processed foods? The important thing to remember when we're talking about processed foods is that it's very much a shorthand. So when people say, like, oh, try to avoid eating too many processed foods, try to focus your diet around lots of whole foods, which are things that I'll say, like both of them are things that I'll say. You need to remember that that is very much not like a hard and fast rule. For example, olive oil, very much a processed food. Whey protein, about as processed as foods can get. Vitamin D supplements are the most synthetic and processed of things you can possibly consume. But all three of those things are definitely something you can have as part of a healthy diet. And so the opposite is also true. Like if you're looking at having, I don't know, but a relatively unprocessed food, evidence suggests it's not that great for triglycerides. So when we're looking at processed foods and unprocessed foods, the broad things that people are trying to encourage is to eat lots of fruits and vegetables, lots of beans, lots of pulses, lots of lean protein sources, and trying to reduce the kinds of foods that are very easy to overeat because they're specifically designed to be hyperpalatable, rich in things like trans fats, which everyone agrees aren't particularly good for you, and really, really high in salt. Uh, It's just simply the case that saying whole foods, processed foods is a lot easier to say and a lot easier to talk about. But we just always need to remember that you can go too far with these things because they're not discrete categories. Right. Like it's not that all processed foods are bad. It's not that all unprocessed foods are things that you can eat unlimitedly. It's just a it's a useful little quick way of talking about things. But if you really want to get into the nitty gritty and the details, you have to dig a little bit further than that. The. No, I was going to say keep going. Oh, cool. I just wanted to pick up with something you said right at the very start as well. Um, when you were talking about how you uh, can't have like a sweet thing before bed because that like increases uh, your energy levels and you struggle to sleep and stuff like that. 
when people talk about you've got to find what works for you when it comes to nutrition, people's heads kind of go to like, oh, well, some people can eat more carbs and some people need to eat more fat or whatever. And it's not really the case. Like, yeah, human beings are all different, but we're not different species. Like, we're all basically the same biological entities uh, outside of obviously some medical conditions and such, obviously. What people generally mean when it, you say you've got to find what works for you with nutrition, all we're talking about there is things like preferences. So like, do you prefer to eat larger meals or do you prefer to eat smaller meals more often? That kind of thing is a very much an individual thing. Or it's the kind of little minor details that you mentioned, like how if you have something sweet on a night, you it, it disturbs your sleep and such. I like having a hot chocolate before I go to bed. That's very much like a find what works for you. But when we're talking about find what works for you, that doesn't mean that like, oh, you need to experiment with a ketogenic diet to find out if it, because no, that's, that, that's not it. We're not that biologically different. Luckily, it actually doesn't disturb my sleep. What it does do is it makes me want more sweet food. It's like, ah, yeah. like that dessert stomach in that you like, mm. this is, this is why trusting your appetite and intuitive eating is the worst thing you can do without nutritional because we all know the dessert stomach. You could be full and smell chips down the road or fries, whatever you call them. Or you could walk past your favorite gelato shop, but wait, aren't you full? Oh, but I want my favorite gelato. They have rum and raisin. I need to get some. And like the, the all of a sudden you're hungry for that. Oh, but I'm intuitively listening to my hunger cues, but you weren't well, hungry 10 minutes ago. In fairness, if you look at like the the intuitive eating literature as written by proponents, that wouldn't really count in that. So I know that's a really common way that it's kind of presented online. Uh, both by like anti-intuitive eating people and also by like extreme health at any size people. Uh, but the, broadly speaking, when we're looking at intuitive eating, first of all, you need to remember that intuitive eating is not a approach that is designed to maximize body composition or anything like that. Intuitive eating is usually something that is utilized to help people who are excessively reliant on things like external regulators of nutrition intakes or things like tracking. So if you get really bogged down and you feel like you can't eat without tracking, or it's people who have certain eating disorders, especially like um, I think it's binge eating disorder and certain types of anorexia or certain presentations of that. Uh, intuitive eating can help with that. And the overall point is to try and reconnect people with their hunger and fullness cues but it's very much not like a, oh if i intuitively ate i would intuitively eat a pizza like that's not that's not really how it works <laughs> yeah and i just want to add something on with this is just semantics but i wouldn't really push intuitive eating at all a better way of speaking of it is competent eating which is something that just recently came out in the literature and being a competent eater is utilizing the very aspects that Tom mentioned are the original aspects of intuitive eating with mindful eating, but also with nutritional literacy. And like, you can't be intuitive with your eating if you have a history of eating disorders, for one, or if you're a busy mom, because if someone like Tom was to intuitively eat without knowledge of his body and knowledge of food, he would be 20 kilos less than he is now and look like a freaking stick. And like, that's just, this is going, like the reason I'm kind of just weaning a little bit more out of this is it all goes back to what I've introduced this podcast with. What seems like sound advice 
may not be the right advice for you. You need to, and this is where having a coach comes in because you you can either spin your wheels, get confused about what to do or get four weeks into a process, feel like it's not working or not trust the process and then decide that you're not going to keep giving it your best efforts anymore because what if it's in the wrong direction? And then you start asking other cooks to put their say into the recipe you're trying to make. That doesn't work either. But okay, the next one is antibiotics in milk. But I think I want to add something else onto this because I was having a conversation with someone before and they looked at me when I was eating my chicken and they were just like, oh, I I just eat this because there's hormones in chicken, didn't you know? Mm -hmm. So I'll, I'll let you take that to start. So first of all, so to bias is straight on the table. I am vegan. I do not eat meat, animal products. Um, when people say there's hormones in chicken, right? That really fucks me off. Because first of all, chickens, even chickens that are grown in like horrific conditions, they are not pumped full of hormones. You do not inject hormones into chickens. Uh, they can inject hormones into cows, I believe, uh, but chickens, they don't. And so when someone says, oh, chicken's full of hormones, they're immediately an idiot. Um, chickens are, the reason commercial chickens are so big is because of selective breeding. It's not because they took like a normal chicken and then injected it full of like whatever that fucking Captain America serum was. That's not how that works. Um, so there's that. Now, the other side of it is like, The hormone in milk thing really is irritating because, yes, there are hormones in milk. The question should not be, are there hormones in milk? The question should be, does that matter? Like, are they in a bioavailable form that is going to cause a meaningful difference to human beings? And are they in that bioavailable form in such a high concentration that we need to be concerned about it? And the answer to those two questions is no. So when people talk about, oh, there's hormones in milk, or there's hormones in chicken, or there's hormones in beef, like... It's just a fundamental misunderstanding. All they've done is they've taken what sounds like a really scary thing and they just say it. It's no different to saying, what's the, is it cyanide or arsenic? One of the two of them is in apple seeds. Uh, so does that mean you can't eat apple seeds? No, it just means you probably shouldn't eat like a kilo of them because at that point, the concentration will get really high. The presence of something is not really important. The important thing is what is the dosage that makes a meaningful difference to human health? And if you're pretending that the presence of something is bad in and of itself without discussing the toxic levels or the 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 important levels, then you're just basically pissing into the wind. <laughs> so there are a ton of reasons that I would argue people would benefit from thinking about when it comes to eating chickens, but the fact that there's presence of hormones in them is not one of them. There's two things that I brought up from some research. That that's called inception, just so you know. But Homer, the these couple of things that came out of this research paper. One mm. says hormones have never been added to milk. Hormones are naturally present in many foods of mm -hmm. either plant or animal origin, including all milk. And the milk from treated cows is identical to those from untreated cows. The fact of milk containing synthetic growth hormones is a myth. Like, 
you will always get what you look for on the internet. You could type the most ridiculous thing and find an argument for it. You get mm. what you look for. Like, especially if you do not understand what is true research from false research. So just it's not even the true and false research necessarily, though I get what you mean. It's it's more like a true and false like representation of the research. So you could find a piece of research that says, oh, there's IGF one in milk, because if I remember right, there is. Um and you could present that as like, oh, there's hormones in milk, therefore that's bad. But that's not what the research said. They just said it's there. That doesn't mean that it's bad. <laughs> it doesn't mean that it's even remotely important, which it isn't. Again, like, it's... And as a vegan, these these arguments annoy me even further because it's like it's making my side of things look really bad by idiots saying very silly things. Yeah, and speaking of vegans, vegans are the worst for this because they know everyone needs to go vegan. So they push out false narratives of what is not actually true onto social media. Mm. That's that's where Tom gets his annoyance from. Okay. Yeah, like if, so, if you look at that um, that bastard film, what was it, Game Changers? Like, oh Game Changers. My dad was... called me into the room and he's like, you need to watch this. They're saying a lot of things about what you eat. You need to be careful. I'm like, yeah. Let me see how far you're into that. Yep, that's good. Let's let's change the channel. I don't want to see you watching that. Oh, but there's actually like researchers saying this and they have this and this and they're like professors. I'm like, no, they're not. Yeah. And exactly. seeing the way that mom and dad really freaking believed this thing because of who was behind it, I can see why the mass media out, not the mass media, but the mass population out there gets mm. so confused with this bullshit. And on that note, the shit that they put into the news on the, like the news and the radio, I get called to the TV sometimes from my parents saying, oh, look what they're saying about this. I'm like, that's still hyped up shit to try to get views to their business. Mm -hmm. Because TV is not about news and bringing you facts. It's about bringing people ratings and numbers. Yeah. And again, that's all of the research that you'll see reported in these papers. None of it's bad. It's just being represented as something that that research isn't by people who are interested in getting your clicks. There was a paper that if I'd known we were going to talk about this, I brought up, um, but it was basically looking at um, like a hundred recent pieces of pieces of newspaper writing about research. And it was like the strength of the language that was used in terms of like causal inference. So whether you're saying like it's caused this or has been found to be associated by this, which are not the same thing. And overwhelmingly, like the newspapers wrote like X causes cancer, X causes Alzheimer's. Uh, and then you read like the press release from the paper and it's like, oh, we found that this is associated with cancer, which is not the same thing. And then if you look at the research itself, it's like, oh, we found that in this population, this may be associated with cancer. And it's like, you take those two steps of like Chinese whispers, and all of a sudden it's causal. And that's, yeah. When you're looking at, oh, re research can say anything and research says all over the place. Be really careful when you're saying that, whether you're referring to what you've read about research or what you've read in the research, because they're not the same thing. Yeah, and the next myth that I really want to dig into is <sighs> there is still a lot of hype going up around organic foods being mm. better for you because they don't have GMOs or pesticides. But truth of the fact is, is that even organic farming has pesticides on it. It's mm. just not 
synthetic, it's natural. And sometimes the natural pesticides can actually be more harming than the synthetic ones. Just because something is natural does not innately make it better for you. There are many cases where those natural pesticides have proven to be worse. So it's it's almost like it's better the devil you know. But even though, like even with it being synthetic pesticides, if it was something that was to do harm to us, it wouldn't be in the market. Like, I don't know about where, uh, see, then this is where the whole America situation, they say that their FDA doesn't really regulate things all that tightly and things still get snuck in. But I would argue that with the mass population, there would be uproar and media outlets all on top of things that I guess that have been killing people if said thing killed people, wouldn't they? But like our FDA, for example, people complain about the smallest of things and it's off the market. Like half of our like products for gym, for going to the gym, for performance that aren't even bad for you, that have nothing in it that could do any harm to you are taken off our market because someone complained about the stupidest sort of things because they thought that that very product caused it when it didn't. So mm. that that's one thing to I'll let I'll let you talk on that one a little as well. I'll never forgive them for taking our Jack 3D from us. They <laughs> um, still have the original. I just I can't take it. I can't do stimulants. You could probably sell that for twenty dollars a scoop. Um, the next NFTs, but yeah, the organic thing's interesting, right? Because as you say. Just because something's organic doesn't mean it's not made with pesticides. It just doesn't have the synthetic pesticides that do not factor in as organic. But here's the thing, right? Synthetic pesticides, as scary as that sounds, these things are formulated so that they can be used in a really precise concentration that is unlikely to cause harm to humans. People get all pissy about like, glyphosate and stuff like that, but the people who are suffering ill effects from glyphosate are the poor workers who were spraying the glyphosate without proper PPE. They're like drenched in it all day. You're not getting problems because you've consumed glyphosate sprayed crops. Anyway, um, a lot of organic food is produced with non-synthetic fertilizers, which means you have to use them in far higher quantities, which means you've got far higher runoff into waters and streams and all that kind of crap. And it's fairly negative for the environment now when you look at organic food versus non-organic food and the effect that it has on things like the environment it really depends on what you mean i wasn't i didn't know we were going to talk about this so i haven't prepped the, the specifics but there are some foods for example when they are produced in an organic way they use a hell of a lot more water they use a hell of a lot more land and they use a lot more co2 because you are producing less yield per acre and so on but there are some foods that are the opposite i believe like pulses and legumes and stuff like that i think the organic versions of that it, it uses less water and, and less land or something so there's there's like there's space in the margins to think about this but broadly organic food is one of those things where it's like a luxury belief so like it's this like status thing or oh, i eat organic food and it's expensive and therefore it's good and there's just no real evidence for that there's not strong evidence to suggest that people who eat organic fruits and vegetables get better outcomes because they eat those organic fruits and vegetables are there slight differences in the nutrition value probably but show me the people who are eating lots of non-organic fruits and vegetables with deficiencies like they, they, they don't exist it doesn't work like that uh that it's probably one of the most important arguments to have, but I am going to save the best for last for you. So before I save the best for last, I want to go through some common myths that I come up against in Facebook groups 
because oh, <laughs> yeah, the roots are kind of a, a, a cesspit for for all the misinformation that a lot of people spread around. And what brought this to my forefront of mind to talk about is because Tom mentioned that there's this China's whispers and. As soon as you hear something enough times, all of a sudden you believe you are the right one and you won't have anything any other way. And anyone saying otherwise is rude or whatever else. Now, in groups, one of the biggest things I see is fasting. Fasting Mm -hmm. as the only way you can lose weight or fasting as something that balances your hormones or restores your hormones or something that gets rid of stubborn belly fat. That's not the case. And we've already done a whole podcast on how fasting can actually ruin your body composition. And if anything, lead to more fat gain and take you out of a deficit if you aren't aware of how fasting works. Because if you're reducing your non-exercise activity, your movement, your steps, your fidgeting, if your performance is going down and not able to train in a productive way to build muscle, that isn't great for your body composition. Now, another one is that detox like this whole detox diet you just need to do a detox to balance your hormones like as as much as i would like to say that your liver and kidneys do all the work they don't if number one you overdo alcohol number two you have a really unhealthy diet to the fact that your liver and your kidneys are not functioning as great as they should but that is not saying that detox diets work and cleanse your body that is saying you need to start to address your actual lifestyle and your actual nutrition not jump onto some 500 pound 500 detox diet shenanigan that goes on for months because they bought you in yeah (laughs) detox detox is a thing but you do it in hospital when you've got like mercury poisoning it's not it's not something that you generally need to do by like drinking juices and shit it's not how that works. And tuna isn't bad for you because it, because people make you fear mercury either. Like I eat tuna every single day. Well, I used to eat two tunas every single day. It's just you need to also be aware of what tuna are you consuming. Is it low grade? Because if it's low grade, then you might have something to worry about. But otherwise, I would I would, I would still probably recommend you get some of that checked. Because <laughs> yeah, so mercury like- mercury accumulation is definitely a thing, and tuna are fucking massive, so they get a lot of it. Albacore tuna. Albacore tuna is the highest in mercury. That's why it's just like, make sure you're not getting low-grade mercury. And if you're eating a lot of shark, that's another one. Just be mindful of what type you are consuming. But for the majority, if you're eating high-quality Serena tuna, that's fine. It's normally shilljack or something like that tuna, and it's not high in mercury. Okay. Bluefin, so bluefin tuna, the really high, the really high-grade shit, they're usually older, bigger fish, so they. Pro- I, would, I would disagree with you on that one, and say. I don't know. I don't even know what that type of tuna is, but maybe it's just an Australian thing because most of Australian tuna is shill shilljack tuna. We don't really do albacore over here, so we've never really had an issue with it. Fruit is as bad as candy. Um. Okay, tell me how. Yeah, okay, it tastes really sweet, but the thing with fruit and people saying that they're addicted to sugar or sugar is really bad for you is the thing that I was saving for Tom, which I'm going to lead over to now because I think we busted quite a few myths already, and that's sugar is like crack cocaine, being addicted to sugar. 
when it comes to the idea that sugar is as addictive as cocaine, uh, the only thing that I think we need to bear in mind is that this is only ever said by people who have never tried cocaine. I don't think we need to go any further into it than that. That is just not how that works. Um, so it's kind of funny. <laughs> it's... Like to be to be to be more serious, right? Like sugar and cocaine both activate the same neural receptors in the same way that splashing yourself accidentally with the tap and jumping in the ocean will both make you wet. It's it's not to the same degree by any stretch of the imagination, but yes. Nobody who has ever tried cocaine will ever tell you that sugar does the same thing as cocaine. I, I, kind of <laughs> talk, I kind of want to talk about something I wrote this morning because I was writing on this very topic, and that is, do you actually issue with sugar? Is sugar actually addicting? Or is it the fact that you've been chasing weight loss for years on end? You ended a diet, but you never actually brought your calories up to a proper maintenance or build for long enough. Or is it that you go too long without eating, that you slack on your breakfast and, and you caffeinate your way to get through your day? Or is it that you don't eat enough protein or plants? Or is it that you under eat carbs for your lifestyle and physical activity? Or is it the fact that you just bl blank out, blunt out, demonize, carbs and sugar and all of a sudden it's just that like that white elephant that all you can think about is that white elephant because you told yourself not to think of a white elephant how about mm. your sleep how's that how about your stress management how's that are you turning to food for comfort or a lack of life satisfaction do you only care about hitting your calories or macros but you don't pay attention to your nutritional quality are you sedentary? Do you ever exercise and under eat for that exercise? Like there are so many reasons that you could find yourself quote unquote addicted to sugar or quote unquote addicted to food or quote unquote having a binge eating issue that have nothing to do with the food itself, but your lifestyle and your habits that create this slingshot effect. Yeah. How was that? I I hope you guys got some out of this. But on that tuna note, because you did kind of get two different versions of this, I would highly recommend looking up something like Harvard because Harvard has a list of what are high mercury and low mercury fishes to look out for. And you'd see that shark. I love shark, but because it's a high mercury fish, you'd want to be careful with that as an example. But, yeah, look up. Oh. So broadly how it worked, right? is there's, there is mercury in the ocean and there's mercury in the algae and all of that. And you get some, the, the thing is when, when an animal consumes mercury, that kind of stays in their body for a really long ass time because you don't have super efficient ways to get rid of it. Your body can get rid of mercury. Like it's not a thing that's there permanently, but we're not super efficient at it. And so what happens is a, there's mercury in an algae and a small thing eats the algae and because they eat lots of the algae they get a lot of algae's worth of mercury so let's say anchovies do that and then you get a 
slightly larger fish than anchovy will eat 40 anchovies so they get 40 anchovies worth of mercury with each of those anchovies having like a million algae's worth of mercury and we go up and up and up the food chain so the higher up and up and up the food chain you get the greater accumulation of mercury that you're going to experience so um ruby i can't remember if we were recording when you said this <laughs> um but you mentioned sardines sardines are a really good fish to eat on a really regular basis because they're very far down the food chain they do not have a lot of mercury uh but then when you get to like shark tuna swordfish these are predator fish that are very big they're very long lived uh especially as i mentioned the high grade blue chip blue fin tuna um which means they've got a lot of time to accumulate a shit ton of mercury from all of the fish that they're eating so if you're going to eat fish on a regular basis, generally speaking, opting for smaller fish, so things like sardines, things like anchovies, that's going to be a useful strategy. And if you are eating tuna on the regular, it would not be a terrible idea to see if you can get like mercury levels checked and stuff. If your mercury is super high, all you do is just don't eat really high mercury things for like three months and your body can kind of get rid of it. But be cautious because the reason we have the character in Alice in Wonderland, the Mad Hatter, is because mercury accumulation, which is because you used to put mercury in hats, um, it sends you completely fucking mental. So you kind of, <laughs> you want to not do that. Okay, so I was actually on the money when I was talking before. So the reason why I said Australia must be one of the special ones is when I remember going to America a few years ago, all of the, because I'm so used to eating tuna so much, I'd get like three tuna things to eat every single day because I, it's so easy to eat on the go. But a lot of their tuna, which I thought was more delicious than ours, was albacore tuna. And albacore tuna is high in mercury. So I just brought up some research on it. And it's like, when buying tuna, opt for skipped jack, which, as I mentioned, is the one that you find in Australia. Skipped jack or canned light varieties are the best option to eat if you eat tuna regularly, daily, whatever. Otherwise, opt for things like salmon, crab, cod, everything that the tom just said which are lower in mercury but avoid things like albacore and big eye because they are on the higher mercury side so i hope that kind of clears things up and... to an extent however just to just to finally unclear it um so the usda recommends that you do not get more than 0 0.1 micrograms per kilogram of mercury per day so for a 70 kilo person, that would be, you can have seven micrograms of mercury per day. And per serving of skipjack tuna, you're looking at 12.24 micrograms. So you're getting almost double your daily recommended amount per serving of tuna if you eat Wait. tuna every day. So be cautious. Yeah, I'm just, just going to bring up Just be cautious. Do, you, yeah, you, you do what you want. You, you enjoy your metal fish if you like. But I yeah, would recommend I, eating sardines instead. <laughs> yeah, honestly, sardines. You just wait until my Instagram post comes up. But if you reside in Australia or New Zealand, I just brought up a warning of safety from the Food Standards Australia New Zealand. Canned tuna is fine for everyone, including pregnant women, to consume as part of their fish intake, as canned tuna has generally lower levels of mercury than tuna fillets because smaller tuna species are used and the tuna is generally younger when caught. But I do want to add in this word of caution because if that tuna is albacore tuna or like Tom said, one that contains higher levels, then you really do not want to be consuming that because it can be toxic to you. So yeah, have a word of caution. Check the back label to see what kind of tuna is in there 
And if you're really worried about it, go on to the New South Wales Food Authority, the Australian Food Authority, the American Food Authority, the European Food Authority, and see what their stance is on it. And if they put up any warnings on it, because just, or just eat sardines. Or just eat sardines. Like, I freaking love sardines. But everyone knows that my favorite seafood is octopus. Well, at least I hope you know because it's bloody delicious. One of my clients sent me freaking octopus tentacles on cookies. And I was like, that's that's interesting. I mean, I know they put chopped chips and raisins on cookies, but I never thought that they put tentacles on cookies. So with that, enjoy your octopus tentacled chopped chip cookies, and we will see you in the next episode. Howdy! Oh, fuck. <laughs>